I hear people when they go out and witness, they talk about us as Christians. Well, you know, we really have this love for community, and we just want to love like Jesus loves. And if Jesus is God, then what's about to take place here? A wipeout? If you really love like Jesus loves, then you're going to tell him, hey, you know, there's going to be a day that you pay for your sins. It's not a great message. Not a feel-good message. But it's the truth. And if we tell the truth, we're better for it because they need to know God is love. That's a beautiful message. But the problem is that we don't understand love all that well. We think love means no confrontation. We think it means that we feel good all the time. That simply is not the case. Pastor Mark reminds us in today's message, we are sinful people. We inherited a nature that seeks self above others. To preach a gospel that ignores that sinful nature is to neuter the gospel. We need salvation because of our rebellion against God. If we continue down that path, we will suffer in separation from Him for eternity. But when we accept Christ's gift, He changes us from the inside out. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 15 with today's edition of Come Alive. Look at verse 7. It says, And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and his people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. What is this? What do we have here? I think we can all relate to this. It's called selective obedience, right? You've heard of selective memory and selective listening, Husbands do that with their wives. We have selective obedience. That's what this is. This is a la carte obedience. I'm going to choose and pick what I want to do. This is who you look at, the, the commandments of God, and you say, when we look at that, and we look at those Ten Commandments, and say, um, I'm going to do this one. That's cool. Let me see. Oh, I like this one, remembering the Sabbath. I like that because I get a nap. It's great. Uh, that one's a little too tough, you know, because there's a sporting event on that set. So I'm not going to do the remembering the Sabbath thing because I like that's That's a good day for sports. Um, man, I like this one about coveting. I'm not going to covet. I can do that one. And, you know, no, I, I can't do that one because I'm going to the mall tomorrow. So I better not do the coveting thing either. Isn't that funny how we do that? Oh, selective obedience. It's all of them. This whole book will make a whole life. This whole book will make a whole life. If you try to do bits and pieces, and I talk to people all the time that have been in churches that do the bits and pieces, and they've got this, well, gosh, man, I I got this faith that where I'm walking around scared all the time, or this other faith where I feel great, but things just aren't happening the way they need to happen. I mean, it's like I'm told I'm supposed to feel good, and I'm pumped up, and yet 
throughout the week, I'm constantly bummed out. It's, it's selective obedience. And so to obey parts of this book will leave your behavior deceived. What happens is you, you look through and you see the commands and say, man, I, I don't know about that or that. And I would assume if you're choosing not to do because of these commands that rub against you a little bit, well, your sins are, 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 are the wrong way. I mean, you're, you're, you're sinning. It's a sin. I, I don't have a hard time believing in specific commands is what we tend to say that speak to the things I want to do. I believe in that one. I'll believe in that one where it says I'll pray for anything. I watched a video just uh, yesterday. I even showed the men in the men's group a video where this man actually has a book, and I forget the name of the book. Anyway, he compares the Bible to a drive-up menu at McDonald's. And you can look at the Bible, and it's your menu, and you can ask for anything. According to Mark, a, a verse in the book of Mark. And when you look up that verse, that verse in context doesn't really say that. He left out in God's will, in his will. And so he says, well, and there are these people back there, and they're doing all this work, and you don't see those people, and they're the people that are working for you. And then you go to the first window after you've placed your order, because he wanted a Big Mac without sauce, and that's a special order. So he goes to the first window, and he pays. And then he drives to the second window, and the second window is where you're supposed to pick up your food. But they don't give him his food. So where do you go when that happens? Well, you pull up a little further, and you've got to wait a little longer on a special order. And so some of those special orders, like a big house without a job or a car without credit, or and I'm like, really? You're teaching this to your congregation that they can ask for those things? And his congregation is sitting there cheering him on, and I'm like, this has got to be the worst thing I've ever heard. I felt so bad for those people who follow this man. I wish I could remember his name, so I don't think any of you would ever buy a book with that title, it's kind of like almost like any way you want it or any way you can have it type of a thing. But he, he, he's picking and choosing what parts of the Bible he wants to believe. And just like other parts of the Bible, we, we like those verses that were, if you abide me, I abide in you. We love that one, but we don't like the one where it says you got to suffer. We like the one where pray and ask for anything you want, and you'll get it. But we don't like the one when it's like, if it's in God's will. Well, how do you know what God's will is? You read the Bible and you see and it's not easy work. And so we see this happen. And so there's that one command that I've kept ever since I got saved. I can tell you since the first day I got saved, I've kept one command. And I've been very victorious in this. And I've not even been tempted in this one area. Um, the Bible specifically says in the book of Leviticus not to eat bats. And I have personally kept that one command my whole life. Ever since. I mean, it's like, really? Yeah, really, I have. I haven't never eaten a bat. I'm faithfully following the Word of God. You know, I don't care how you cook a bat. You can deep fry them in butter. I ain't eating them buffalo-style, deep fried in butter, wrapped in bacon. I'm not, nor ever will, have a desire for a bat. That is the one command I've faithfully kept my whole Christian walk. The one. But this other command, well, I don't know about that. I get a little uncomfortable with that one because that's what I want to do. I want to go to the mall and covet. I want to go to the Harley shop and really covet because there I can lay on those motorcycles and rub them, sit there and ask people, don't I make this motorcycle look good, guys? And everyone in there, all the sales guys are like, man, that motorcycle's never looked so good. You are the man. We, we just need you here. We could probably sell 10 of those if you stayed on that. Then I walk over and wear the Harley hat. I look way better in a Harley hat than I do in any other kind of hat. I mean, really. See, the reason we're given commandments 
not options or suggestions about the commandments is because it shows God what we really value. Oh, when we keep those things, it really shows God what we really value. It shows us what we really value. I was talking to somebody today, and they said, man, you know, by doing this thing in this book that I'm reading and, and this discipleship program that we have in the morning, he's like, man, I'm really learning some stuff here, man. I'm really learning what's important in life. It's no longer about me. It's about others. And I'm like, man, praise the Lord. If, if that's all that you ever get, that's, man, you're, you're on a great path. It's not about us. It's not about what we want. It's about what's truly important to God. And if we are his children, we're going to want that. He says to you, and he tells us, and he says, do you love me more than that thing that you have a liking for? And if he's the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, he's not going to change his word, right? We know that. He wants to change your life. You don't have to. And he says, you don't have to. I'm not going to force you to. I've given you freedom of choice. But hey, we now know what you love and admire, what you adore, and what you would rather do according to the way you respond to the commands of God. Well, we know all those things just by the way you respond to the commandments. And I'm interested that those cults will believe in certain parts of the Bible, but not that and not that other thing. Cults are amazing for that. Here's a certain part, but we don't believe in this and we don't believe in that. But we'll show you to your face what we do believe in, and then we'll take you to our other book because we feel it's more relevant. We feel it's better. They've created, created a hybrid faith. They make themselves God. And when you think about it, once you choose to believe in certain portions of Scripture but not others, you've basically made yourself the author of right and wrong. And when you're that Christian, gosh, man, are, are, are you that defeated? I mean, just think about how more exciting your life could be if you just didn't do that. And so it's saying to God, the reason I don't do this command, the reason I don't do this is because I think you meant to say this. That, that, that's not meant for me because you didn't equip me to do that. Well, Jonathan, let's go back to Jonathan and his armor bearer. Was he equipped to go handle 30,000 Philistines? Oh, no, he wasn't. But with God, he was. And so a lot of times we have a lot of excuses. And this is the reason I have a hard time. This is, uh, no, it isn't this reason, it's that reason. And now you're in some kind of act of rebellion because you've chosen to do bits and pieces of the Bible and you're wondering why there's this rebellion. And you don't know the obedience and you know that the obedience to his word is going to cost you. And you don't want to pay that price because it's going to cost you something. And that's what's happening here. Saul says, okay, let's go ahead and destroy all their junk, all their gross stuff. Remember what it said here? It says they destroyed everything that was worthless. That's like going to a garage sale after all the good stuff is gone and somebody going, okay, let's destroy this stuff. It, it, you're not losing anything. It's just a trash. So they destroy all the junk. Wait a minute, that sheep over there, don't, don't put that one. Load that one up. We want that. Oh, that's a good-looking thing. Grab that. Load that in a wagon. Hey, Mordecai, grab the sheep, put it inside, and look at those fatlings over there. Whew, those are going to be good later. Grab those too. We want those. We want those things for ourselves because, I mean, they're worth something. We could probably sell them, make some money for the Lord. We'll give it to the Lord. Give 10% of that. He says, no, I want all of it, and I want you to destroy it now, including the stinking king you set on your wagon. And so in the process of my disobedience, I'm going to offer this to the Lord, and he's going to, he'll understand. After all, he's a loving God. He's a loving God. And this is some really good stuff. And 
Like I said, we'll sacrifice some of it to him. Does this happen today? Lord, I know I need to report all this on my taxes, but you know what? If I don't, then I can give you 40% back. Okay? Okay, good. We're good. We're good. I'll give, okay, I'll give you 50%. We'll split it down the middle. And so I'm going to be deceitful, and then I'll make that sacrifice of my deceit unto you is basically what I'm saying. Don't cheat on your taxes. And then, and then we act like, well, Lord, you should be pleased with that when he's not pleased at all. Take a look at how God deals with this, verse 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I've set up Saul as a king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. How many of us want that said about us? I deeply regret having Mark even walk the earth. Nobody wants that said about us. It says, and it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. And so when Samuel rose early in the morning, verse 12, to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself, and he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. And so here we see this craziness. The word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret this. God says, man, I'm, I'm really I'm bummed. See, when you sin, it grieves him. It disappoints him. It hurts. It hurts. You might say, well, he's God. How can he hurt? The word regret, and when we see this word, it causes us to think that God made a mistake. But God cannot make a mistake. But we need a word in our English language to help us understand. It's called an anthropomorphism. And so next to regret, you can write it's sorrow. It grieved him. It deeply hurt him. See, God held out that option for Saul to do right, even told him, and God is grieved because Saul had the chance to do the right thing and chose to do the wrong thing. And God has to discipline Saul. You and I have those same options. He says, here, here, here's the, the word of God. Just as my father has sent me, I send you on that same mission, not on a missions trip done by other Christians over there, but done by you here in your place, in your realm. And I think a lot of times as Christians, you know, we see this instruction. We're given this instruction. Saul was given the instruction. He was given an intent. You have to be intentional in your mission trip. If we were planning a mission trip to some far-off jungle in Africa, then we would have to have a destination. We would have to know who we were going to. We'd have to have certain plans made. But yet God says, I'm sending you. Or Jesus says, just as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. There's an intent, we, we, but we're not intentional when we live our lives. Saul wasn't intentional when he went and did battle. He, he didn't heed God's word and do what God told him to do. He went ahead and said, well, you know, that, that's cool. I know what God said, but man, that, oh, that sheep, that fowling, that is awesome. I want it. And the king, he's a good-looking dude because Agag, they say, was really good-looking, tall. Like Saul, he probably looked at him and said, hey, hey good-looking, what's up? Look, me too. Here's Saul's plan. I got Agag. If I keep him, it was a political move. If I keep this guy alive and, and something happens and we release him and next time he comes after us, we can work a deal. That's what happened. That's what's taking place here. God didn't change his mind. Saul chose God changes characters. He switches. He switches methods. And this is what I want us to see because God declares how sad he is and how he is so sorrowful that Saul has done this thing. And so now in his mind, there's this little kid watching some sheep somewhere, and that's the guy I'm choosing. 
But in this next verse, we seem to see a contrast. Look at verse 12. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself. And he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. And then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Seems to be a little bit of a contrast here. Let's keep reading. Verse 14, but Samuel said, What... What then is this? Bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear. And Saul said, oh, they have brought them. Who? They. It's not my fault. And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best. The people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. And then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. Basically, dude, shut up. Shut your face, liar, liar, pants on fire. I'll tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Dude, this is so, man, to just stand there and watch this. I'll tell you what this guy, and this is, this is even better. It gets even better. You guys, don't read too fast. Don't, don't get ahead of me. And, and he said to him, speak on. So Saul says, go ahead, tell me, tell me what you know. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, Were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, look at the word mission, not a mission trip, on a mission, and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of, the Amal- of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the people took off, the, took off their plunder, the sheep, the oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And so Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. So here, here's this. It's amazing when you hear someone's response and reaction, their defense. Highlight the word for perform in verse 13. It, and then right out next to it, it means to accomplish and succeed for show. In the Hebrew, that's what that word means. I like that word, reaction. And it means, or the word perform, I'm sorry, the word perform in verse 13 means to accomplish and succeed for show. See, many Christians go wrong here because they're trying to say something about us rather than declare something about God. A lot of times I hear people, when they go out and witness, they talk about us as Christians. Well, you know, we really have this love for community, and we just want to love like Jesus loves. And if Jesus is God, then what's about to take place here? A wipeout? If you really love like Jesus loves, then you're going to tell him, hey, you know, there's going to be a day that you pay for your sins. It's not a great message. Not a feel-good message. But it's the truth. And if we tell the truth, we're better for it because they need to know So Samuel says, please stop, in verse 16. He's like, just shut up. The phrase, be quiet, means I don't want to hear it. I don't want you to continue to talking. It's kind of like, you're doing this, you need to do this while I do this type of a situation that's going on here. He says, when you were small, when you were ignorant, when you trusted God, now you're too big for your own britches, bro. 
You've gotten too big. You've let all this stuff with all this king stuff get into your head and all these people feed all these lies to you. In verse 20, Saul says he obeyed. In verse 21, it's the people's fault. Hey, Saul, unless you do what you have been asked to do, you've not done it. Do we know that? If you don't do what you've been asked to do, then you didn't do it. That's a lesson I try to teach my son. Pick up your shoes. He'll pick up one shoe. Comes back and he's wondering why he doesn't get the treat that he thought he was going to get. Well, you didn't do it. Yes, I did. I picked up one shoe. He said, how many feet do you have? Looks down. Ponders a little while. Two. How many shoes do you have? Two. Where were they supposed to go? To my room? Are they all there? No. He needs help. He needs help, serious help. Pray for my son. But isn't that the way we are? Pray for us. Because all he is is a smaller version of me. I take off my shoes and my wife just gave up asking me to put them up. I wait till somebody kicks them around a couple of times and be like, man, Asa, pick up my shoes for me. Dad, whose shoes are those? Oh, dear. Here we go. See, the selective obedience, well, we are all like that. But that doesn't mean it's right. Saul, you have done what you decided to do is what Samuel tells him. You've decided to do what you wanted to do. You've done it yourself. You've done what you decided to do. And this selective obedience happens in all of our hearts. We have these little pet sins, the little favorites, right? The one you keep around just to kind of, oh, that's my favorite one. Right there. I just, it's a rough day. <laughs> I need to break that one out, take it out. No one's around. Let's go. The other day I was at a friend's house, opened his refrigerator, and he's sitting there and he goes, hey man, we're going to have Mexican food. You want a Corona? And I looked and I said, man, I'll, and I was just joking. I go, I'll have the whole six pack. And him and his wife just looked at me, and they're like, dude, for as long as we've known you, and he's, he was one of the guys that are responsible for me of becoming to, uh, or getting to know the Lord. He goes, for as long as we've known you, you've always said no. Why all of a sudden the change? I was like, I was just joking. He goes, we wouldn't have let you drink six anyway. And I go, would you have let me drink three? And he was like, no. I go, how about two? He's like, no. I go, what about one? He goes, no. I go, why'd you offer? He goes, we just like to see what you're going to say. He goes, we know you're not serious. But I started thinking, who would know? I'm with my two buddies. Nobody would know. Just me and them. They don't know you, and they wouldn't have ratted me out. Nobody would have known. But I didn't. I didn't want one. I looked at it, and I was like, I remember how those used to feel on my tongue. But I didn't want one. Every book in the Bible holds meaning for us, even in our modern times. In 1 Samuel, for example, Pastor Mark has been teaching us about the power and sovereignty of God. Our Creator does what He needs to in order to accomplish His tasks, regardless of our involvement. How much better would it be, though, if we did step into God's plan for His world? God wants to use each of us to do incredible things for the kingdom. All we need to do is be willing. We're so glad you tuned in today to learn from 1 Samuel. And we'd like to encourage you to keep reading ahead. You'll learn a lot as you discover God for yourself. Another good place to hear and study the Word is in a church setting. Here's Tracy with a little more about what being in the body of Christ can mean for you. Joining a church is more than just showing up for a Sunday morning service. 
It's getting to know the people you're worshiping with. As the church body grows together in the love and teaching of God's Word, it will become a powerful and effective witness for Christ within its walls and beyond. If you're near Katy, Texas, we'd love to meet you Sunday at 10 a.m. at Calvary Katy. Visit comealiveradio.com to find out more and get directions. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast as well to keep up with the latest editions of Come Alive. You can find it on Google Play or iTunes. Thanks for tuning in today to Come Alive.